Good morning once again. This morning we are continuing in our Beautiful Attitudes teaching series, which has been an exploration of Christ's teachings on the Sermon on the Mount, specifically the Beatitudes. And uh, this is week number seven. Uh, something you might want to know about my wife is uh, that she is a big Agatha Christie fan. Is that shared with anyone else here, a big Agatha Christie fan? All right, one, I see that hand. Bless you. <laughs> My wife has read almost every single mystery novel that Agatha Christie ever wrote. Uh, she's also even enjoyed many of the television and movie productions of her work. Uh, several months ago, uh, she, we, I guess, initially, but then later on just her, found a BBC series uh, from the late 1980s called Miss Marple. Miss Marple is one of Agatha Christie's uh, famous characters that solves crimes. Uh, each episode follows Agatha Christie's octogenarian amateur detective, Miss Marple, as she solves 
various murders and mysteries around the small village of St. Mary Mead in England. Simply put, my wife liked Miss Marple. Me, however, not so much. Not so much. It didn't capture my heart. It didn't capture my attention or my imagination. So, I turned my attention elsewhere. I turned my attention elsewhere and I discovered a show called Alone. Anyone watched Alone? Yeah, lots of hands there. In the show Alone, uh, which is a reality show, ten people are selected to be dropped off on the northern end of Vancouver Island, which is in Canada, to the northwest of Seattle. These participants, they are sent out into the wilds with, with just the clothes on their back and ten selected uh, survival items things that they can take with them, things of their choosing, uh, and then they are taken by boat and by plane to these really remote locations. Um, and they are scattered all over the northern end of Vancouver Island. And each, each of the contestants is separated by, from the other contestants by miles and miles of trackless wilderness, rainforest, in fact. That far north, I thought that was a little strange that it would be such a, a rainforest, but this place is just raining all the time. But they're separated by miles, so there's no chance of them running into each other and helping each other out. The objective of the show alone is, is very simple. Survival. The, sh the, the whole idea is see who can survive. See who can survive the longest alone in the wilderness. Who is it that can establish a livable rhythm and develop the perseverance to outlast everyone else? The perseverance to stay until everyone else has quit or died. I mean, that's kind of the subtext, right? If you're really tough, you might just stay until they find a pile of bones, you know, years from now, right? The last person remaining on the island, do you know what they win? $500,000. So it's, as you learn these contestants' stories, a lot of them are like banking their future hopes on this. A lot of them are working dead-end jobs. A lot of them are uh, not sure how they're going to make ends meet. So they're really out there, not just for the challenge, not just for the adventure, but some of them are like, if this doesn't work out, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's kind of a little bit harrowing. Now, as I mentioned, Vancouver Island is unexpectedly lush because it's a rainforest. It's beautiful, but it's also very cold. It's wet and cold for much of the year. To make matters worse for the participants and also to make it more interesting for us, uh, the island is also crawling with bears and with wolves and with mountain lions. Once the, the contestants are dropped off on the island, they each and every one of them, they, they all start through this mental survival checklist. They all start assessing their situation and assessing their needs. They need to find shelter, they need to find water, and they need to start a fire and locate a source of food. Some of the contestants, they get right to work. First things first, man. They just get busy working down this checklist. They get right to work. They, they quickly locate, locate a place to build a shelter. They secure a fresh water source. They identify uh, food opportunities in their area, and then they build a fire. These are the important, essential things that must be done. But other contestants, you'll notice, they spend a lot of time just f frittering the opportunity away. They're just wandering. It's like, well, I guess I'll go exploring, see what I've got here. And they spend the whole first day just sightseeing. 
They're frittering away precious time wandering around, uh, lamenting their situation, already pining about how they're missing their family back home. And if you watch enough of this show, you know that that's the harbinger of doom. As soon as the contestant starts talking about their wife and their kids back home, you know the, the end is, is, is coming for them. They're not going to last very long. Some participants don't last long before they call for extraction. Each contestant has a satellite phone that at any time they can call and say, hey, come get me, I'm done. Believe it or not, despite all the preparation and all the investment and expense, some people don't last the first day. In almost every season, somebody goes home that first day because they can't get past that mental challenge of saying, I, I'm alone. My family's far away. And they start thinking about them and they reach for the phone. Like I said, as soon as the contestants start talking about their wife and their kids, and as soon as they let their thoughts turn negative, they tap out. Why? Because they've lost hope. They've lost that will to survive, that will to continue. But others do okay. After that initial sifting of the contestants, others seem to do okay until deep in the night they hear bears or they hear what might be a mountain lion snooping around the outside of their shelter and then they give in to fear. They give in to fear, fear of being killed and fear of being eaten, I don't know. And then they call for rescue. They request evacuation. It's a really remarkable show. Here's what I've noticed though. Those who persevere the longest on alone, uh, which I think the longest I've seen is a little over 90 days. I think if I recall any alone, uh, hundred days. Okay, is that a new season? Yeah. Oh, don't ruin it for me. I've not seen that one yet. <laughs> but a long time, over three months. We'll agree on that, right? The ones who last the longest and the ones who eventually win alone, they're the ones that come to terms with being away from their loved ones. They come to terms with the presence of large predators in the forest. Those who last the longest, as time goes by, they give priority to two simple, pressing, all-consuming needs. Can anyone guess what the two pressing, all-consuming needs are if you're going to survive for three months plus in the wilderness? Hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst. So, you can see where I'm leading with this. That was my segue into where we're at in the Beatitudes today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. See what I did there? Hunger and thirst. All that was to get to right there. So if you have your Bible, open to Matthew chapter 5. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> Slam dunk. Alright, Matthew chapter 5. This morning we're going to read uh, Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 6. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Now as I'm reading that passage, you're maybe noticing that my Bible reads a little differently than yours. I'm teaching from the New Living Translation today, and, you, and, and conspicuously, I guess, it, it uses the word justice instead of righteousness, which most of us being raised learn this verse with righteousness. Well, don't, don't be afraid. They mean the same thing. And even in the New Living Translation, there's a footnote that says, or righteousness down at the bottom. But let me unpack that a little bit for you. 
Some uh, translations use the word justice, as I mentioned, as the New Living Translation does, while most others opt for the word righteousness, the King James Version, the New American Standard Bible, the ESV, the NIV. But before we start making assertions about the accuracy of this translation over that translation, perhaps it's helpful for us to remember this. Righteousness and justice are not mutually exclusive. Righteousness and justice are intrinsically and necessarily connected. What we desire God to do in our lives is an extension of what we ultimately long for Him to do in the world, isn't it? We want salvation, we want healing, we want wholeness. We want reconciliation. We want that in us, between us and God. But anyone who's truly following after Jesus and growing in Him, in Christ's likeness, we will, you will also want to see those things happen in the world. Justice and righteousness, they're connected. We should want things healed. We should want things made right inside of us, between us and God, but we should also want those things to happen in our world. To hunger and thirst for righteousness and for justice is to point our appetites, to point our hearts in the same direction. Justice, righteousness, they point our hearts in the same directions. They point our hearts toward God, toward Him coming and working out His healing and restoration throughout the whole world. This is the thrust of the Beatitudes. Jesus is giving us a glimpse of that which is to come, of His promise to make all things new. To miss this is to miss the point of all the Beatitudes. To miss this is to miss the point of the Beatitudes altogether. So here, let me be clear on that. So as, as Daniel Doriani describes in his Table Talk article, which is called Blessed Are Those Who Hunger and Thirst for Righteousness, he says, the first four Beatitudes all describe the needs of a disciple. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness is the last in a series. Jesus first said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit is to know one's spiritual neediness and dependence on God. This beatitude leads to the second. The poor in spirit mourn their poverty. They mourn their own sin first, and then they mourn all sin. This is a blessed mourning, since God will comfort those who mourn over sin. The second beatitude leads to the third. Those who know their spiritual poverty and mourn it will be meek. To be meek is the opposite of arrogance, jealousy, and selfish ambition. Meekness contrasts with the self-assertion that is born of selfishness. Because the meek know their spiritual poverty and mourn it, they refuse to exalt themselves. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness is then the pivotal beatitude we find in Matthew 5-6. If disciples know their sin, if disciples know their weakness, they will also ask God to meet their need for righteousness. So, hunger and thirst. Let's dwell on those words for a moment. Hunger and thirst. What is it like to be hungry? What is it like to be thirsty? We live in a time and a place where we don't usually have to worry about those things, do we? We don't have to worry about getting enough food or, or finding enough clean water to satisfy our needs. I mean, think about it. 
Our supermarkets are the size of soccer fields. That's not an exaggeration. They're big. Our supermarkets are the size of soccer fields and drinking water is so plentiful, we wash our cars with it. We flush our toilets with drinking water. Our comfortable living, our easy access, and our abundant supply, it can make it difficult for us to really hear the fullness of what Jesus is saying here. When he says hunger and thirst, I don't know if we hear it with as much uh, weight or gravity that his original listeners must have heard it with. When we read of hungering and thirsting for justice and righteousness in Matthew 5-6, we can struggle to understand the urgency, the urgency that Jesus' original audience likely felt. Dor Daniel Doriani expands on this truth. He says, hunger and thirst is a metaphor that doesn't resonate as it did uh, in Jesus' day when food and water were scarce and people were often hungry and thirsty. In our culture, food and water are plentiful, so we miss the urgency that Jesus intended. Hunger, hungry, thirsty people, they work hard. They work urgently to gain food. To hunger and thirst for righteousness, then, means we should urgently pursue righteousness. We should be urgently pursuing righteousness as if our life depends on it. Right? I mean, when we say we're hungry, it means we're peckish. We want like popcorn or some chips or ice cream, things like that, things that are nice to have or, or some, you know, a Dr. Pepper or something like that. But rarely have we been to the place where it's like, if I don't get something to eat, if I don't find something to drink, I think I might die. I mean, saying that as an adult, if you say it as a teenager, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit dramatic, but, but for real, if I don't get something to eat or to drink, I might die. So, let's think about then, we've thought about hunger and we've thought about thirst. Let's think about righteousness then. Righteousness, because I'm going to assume that most of you are familiar with this verse saying the word righteousness. And your Bible in front of you might actually say righteousness instead of justice. So let's think about that word righteousness. In Scripture, we find, these, we find this word righteousness used in three basic senses. There's three ways in which righteousness is usually applied in Scripture. First is imputed righteousness, or a righteousness given, personal righteousness, and then third, social or community righteousness. Okay, imputed righteousness, personal righteousness, and social or community righteousness. So first, imputed righteousness. First, we must come to terms with our festering unrighteousness. In following Jesus, one of the first stops along the way is to come to terms with the fact that I am unclean. I'm unrighteous. I have a festering unrighteousness. I'm depraved. I'm lost. I'm dead in my sin. We first must come to terms with our festering unrighteousness that we are apart from God and we must be willing to receive, then, the righteousness of another. We must be willing to receive a righteousness that is beyond ourselves. In other words, we must be willing to take on an imputed righteousness, something that is imputed upon us from someone else. We must come to God by His grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
This is what you'll hear a lot about in church, but Christ's atonement, His life, His death, and His resurrection, we must plant our feet firmly in that space that says, I am without hope unless Christ comes to save me. I need Christ. We, we place our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ through His atoning work. The theological word for what Christ does for us in and through Jesus Christ is justification. Justification. We are made right with God. We are justified by faith. By God's grace, through faith alone, we are justified through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Justification. Essentially, we must each come to terms with our depravity. We must, as we've talked about in previous weeks, we must each own up to our own spiritual and moral bankruptcy. When we stand before a holy God, we bring nothing of worth, nothing in our defense. We are spiritually and morally bankrupt. This then, it helps us understand that urgency a little bit better. It helps us understand the, the language of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Doriani uh, finishes up by explaining the language of hunger and thirst. It's well known in Scripture. God says, Come to me, all you who are, are thirsty. Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come and buy and eat. You will delight in the richest fare, we read in Isaiah 55. And then Jesus himself offers, Whosoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whosoever, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. These were consistent themes in Jesus' teaching and ministry. If you're hungry, come to me. If you're thirsty, come to me. John chapter 6 talks all about this. I love it. One of my favorite authors is named Philip Yancey. He, has a, he said something once that just stuck with me. He said, I have nothing to offer God but my thirst. I have nothing to offer God but my thirst. In that short sentence, he's saying so much. All I have to offer God is my acknowledgement of my need. I am needy before God. All I have to offer God is my thirst. So, justification or imputed righteousness. Secondly, Jesus promises to bless and to satisfy those who are pursuing a life that is pleasing and honoring to God. In other words, Jesus promises to bless those who are invested in personal righteousness, living a godly life, becoming more and more Christ-like. When we reject murder, murder, when we eject, reject uh, anger, when we reject adultery, when we reject hatred, when we choose to love our enemies, when we pursue mercy, purity, and peacemaking, when we hide God's Word in our heart, we are then satisfied by God. Have you found this to be true in your life? The more you're prioritizing the way of Christ in your life, the more uh, resilient satisfaction you discover. That Jesus becomes more than enough in your life. We are then satisfied by God. The theological word for this, anyone? Sanctification. Right? We talked about justification, how we are made right with God, but sanctification in which we order our lives around becoming more and more like Jesus. We order our lives more and more around becoming Christ-like. Hunger for justice, hunger for righteousness, it is to yearn for God's rule and for Jesus' reign to take over in our lives and in our world. 
We are saying daily, God, your way is my way. Jesus' way is my way because you rule and Jesus reigns in my life, in all my interactions, in all my thoughts, in all my deeds. It is to, it is, uh, to develop an appetite for righteousness which motivates us to uproot sin and to pursue godly living and to become an agent of redemption. Do you see the difference here? I think a lot of churches sometimes stop when we talk about justification. Just get saved. But so much about what Jesus is imparting to us here is about walking with Him and becoming like Him. So yes, justification, but also sanctification. This personal righteousness. So we've talked about justification and then sanctification. Third, we work for social or community righteousness. We want to see our place become more pleasing to God. We work for community or social or community righteousness. We are cultivating and cleansing. We're bringing healing and restoration into our world. It has been said that faith in Jesus is deeply personal, and it is. Each one must come and kneel before Christ. Be saved by placing faith in Jesus Christ alone. Your walk with Jesus is deeply personal, but it cannot be private. Nothing about what you're called to in Christ is to be private. Personal, yes. Private, no. It must flow out into the world and have a restorative, redemptive, healing effect. We are to go into the world to make God and to make the gospel a little bit more visible. The theological word that encompasses this idea is glorification, in which we long for the final act of Christ's promise to make all things new. The big picture of glorification is that when Christ is glorified in all the earth, when His promise is no longer already but not yet, it's already a now. All things are made new. All things are healed and made whole. As followers of Jesus, a follower of Jesus labors for God's redemptive and restorative causes. We go out into our neighborhoods and into our workplaces, revealing and representing Christ's kingdom in our workplace, in our school, in our home, locally and globally, in efforts both big and small. So, may we discover, and may we rediscover, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. May we discover and rediscover a hunger and a thirst for justice. May our faith daily compel us, daily compel us to pursue the life in Christ in which we prioritize righteousness, we work for justice, and we find deep and abiding satisfaction in our Creator God. So stay hungry, my friends. Stay thirsty, my friends. And may we all, <laughs> and may we all see our lives blessed. May we see our lives truly blessed. We believe that Jesus was making a promise here. If we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will know God's blessing. So may your life be blessed, and may our world be made new during the span of our given days. That's my prayer. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your faithfulness. 
Thank you for the words of Jesus, the comfort they bring to our lives, but also the, com the, the compulsion they bring that moves us forward, moves us into a new, a new place, moves us beyond the, 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 the habits, the patterns that sometimes uh, we fall into, the ruts that keep us far from you. God, I pray that just in some way this morning we would each know what true hunger and true, true thirst feels like. And that it would spark something in us like it did uh, in the hearts of those people that sat on the hillside with Jesus so long ago. When Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or for justice, may we understand that hunger and thirst, may we pursue righteousness, may we work for justice as if our very life depends upon it. Jesus laid it out that as if this was the only path to satisfaction in you. When we start living according to your will, when we start following in Jesus' way. So God, I pray that we would, uh, you would drive that, deep, that conviction deeper into our hearts through the work of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that uh, something that was said this morning might, might bring appropriate conviction that it would maybe move the needle a little bit. It would move us uh, out of this comfortable space where we think that our walk with Jesus is just about uh, me and Jesus, and it's not about me and Jesus in the world. God, move us uh, beyond a place of a private faith. God, let us, let us enjoy and, and relish that, that personal relationship we have, but God, may we stop believing that it's private. You've called us into the world. You've invested in us enabling us to go into the world to make the gospel uh, resound, to proclaim the gospel, to make God visible in the world, to establish your kingdom work now. So God, I pray that you'd uh, empower us, but also give us an awareness that motivates. God, may we, as individual believers and as a church family, may we truly start to more and more, day by day, hunger and thirst for righteousness, hunger and thirst for justice. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand the opportunities that lie before us. The ways that your Holy Spirit is, is guiding us to be at work this week, wherever you lead us, into our workplace, our school, our home, into our neighborhood. And may you be glorified in that. God, we lift our prayer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, thanks for your time with that. I, I was looking forward to telling you all about Agatha Christie and Alone, and then hungering and thirsting for righteousness as well. So that was good. Thank you. Hey, a uh, couple of announcements before we finish up this morning. Uh, students, uh, we're taking a break tonight. Curtis and Kendi are relaxing tonight. Curtis had a pretty uh, abominable week. Is that the right word for it? <laughs> Abysmal? Week at work and just needs a, a night to rest with his family. So I think you all understand that. So enjoy some time at home with your families tonight. Uh, kids focus. Pat, thank you so much for bringing your, your puppet friends this morning. That was great. Uh, we have opportunity for uh, lots of people to get involved in leading our, our kids focus time, which is just a three to five minute time where we just intentionally turn our attention uh, to the kids and uh, make sure that they feel like uh, this is their church home as well. So if you'd like to get involved and be on a, like a once every two month rotation, uh, see Heather Haynes back there in the back there or see me and I can get you signed up for that, but it'd be great for you to help because I think a, uh, just a wide variety of voices and uh, ideas is going to really bear some fruit among our kids.
we view the giving of tithes and offerings as an intimate expression of faith and worship. Uh, we want to make that available to you. So back at the back, there's an iPad where you can give with a debit card. Uh, you can go, also go on our website. There is a place to give uh, through PayPal. There's also two baskets. There's one at the back by the iPad, and there's one at the crossroads here in the middle of the room. So uh, feel free to give. Your church is coming up on Sunday, September 6th, and uh, what that means is we'll be meeting down at the Francis's Yurt Complex, the Forest Garden Yurts in Reed Spring, Missouri. It's going to be really fun. You need to know two things, though. We're not going to be here. So if you come here, you'll be sad and lonely. Come to Reed Spring instead, and uh, come at 11 o'clock. We'd originally scheduled it at 10, but we've moved that start time to 11 to just give you more time to sleep in that day and get to Reed Spring. So we'll be there at 11 and stay as long as you want. We're going to have worship together. We're going to share music and song. If you want to share a music or song or dance, whatever, uh, there will be kind of a 5 by 15 uh, opportunity. We're also going to have lunch. Do we know what we're having for lunch yet, Amanda? Maybe campfire lunch. Campfire lunch. All right. So uh, it'll be fun. We'll, we'll get together and uh, bring a chair, bring a blanket, uh, and uh, come for a good time. September 6th. Also, Love Thy Neighbor, our next Love Thy Neighbor partnership with Victory Mission uh, as a mobile food pantry will be next or this coming Friday from 1 to 2.30 here in our back parking lot. If you've got some time available, this is a really simple way to show up in our neighborhood and bless a lot of people with food, with groceries, produce, and cleaning supplies. So if you can come and help out, see me or see Heather Haynes as well. Uh, thank you so much for being diligent and wearing masks at church. I know none of us love these things, uh, but it is a city ordinance. We want to be in compliance as far as we can. Uh, <clears throat> I long for the day. I look forward to the day when we don't have to do this anymore. But for the time being, I appreciate your guys' uh, being on board with that and doing whatever we can. So. I don't have any more announcements. Is there anything I missed? There's Hope and Anchor shirts at the back if you're interested in getting one of those. Uh, see my wife, Christy. Otherwise, let's stand and pray as the Lord taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now all glory to God who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church, and in Christ Jesus, through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thanks everyone. Have a good afternoon.